0: Hello and welcome back to Pictorial on FM. I'm Quinn Rose and I didn't go to art school, but I still love learning about art and new artists. Hi, and I'm Betty. I also didn't go to art school, but
1: I am probably going to be heading back into an art gallery to be a gallery guide again soon. But, you know, uh, since that hasn't happened yet, um, I'm still just looking at art on the internet.
0: (laughs) In the meantime, though, today we are doing a funnel episode all about a contemporary artist named Sarah Hatton. And I have the best news for you, Betty. She's Canadian.
1: (laughs) Woohoo! Representation.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So I'm going to tell the story of how I learned about Sarah Hatton um, with the last piece that I'm going to share today. But we're just going to go through three of her pieces and just talk about some really cool conceptual contemporary art there's not much in terms of kind of life story that we're going to get into because similar with other working artists uh, that are still contemporary to today that we've talked about in the past the focus tends to be a lot less about their life story and a lot more about their current work since their life story is still unfolding but i will say so she was actually born in the uk um, and she was raised in barbados and canada she says uh, but she now lives and works in chelsea quebec Um, And she's, you know, does a lot of work that is very grounded um, in her life as a Canadian. And she's especially really interested in works around climate change um, and has done a lot of conceptual art that focuses on the ideas of climate change and the human contribution to climate change and what we can and must do in order to mitigate the future harm that is coming our way because of mistreatment of the climate, as well as a really deep interest in human nature, um, both in terms of how humans interact with, you know, ecological nature, but also in a questions about morality mortality uh, all sorts of really cool stuff
1: Wow, oh, that's really interesting i i do like that she's kind of a similar canadian to me where you know she was born in a different country grew up in a different place and you know now lives in canada that seems to be a lot of Canadian stories. So that's, that sounds great to me. And yeah, I'm like, as someone who professionally works in um, building architectural environments, I'm definitely like very interested in doing what we can to mitigate climate change because it's, it's really important.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're actually going to dive right into the first piece of talking about today, which is both the piece that she is at this moment best known for and is also one of her, her most iconic pieces in relation to the climate and with nature. Um, and that is called Bee Works. So in the show notes, there is a link to her website page of the Bee Works where you can see photographs of each one. Um, and so I was wondering if you could just give me your first reaction just of these images, uh, the kind of things that you're seeing in your first initial reactions to them. There
1: are square pictures that are in black and white. They're all of, uh, so far from what I can see, they're all of circles and they all seem to have some sort of like geometric pattern. It kind of reminds me of like either fractals or like mandalas at, at that where there's like these just concentric circles or these very swirly um, organized patterns yeah and they're they're all um, they're all called a circle one two three four five six
0: so all of these images are photos of the larger works Uh, each one of these works uh, is actually you know not like gigantic but they're actually quite large Um, and part of the reason for that is because they are made out of bees Oh, so it's a white background, but all of the patterns that are in black and from a far enough distance away look like they're just painted on with black are actually made out of dead bees. Wow. Yeah, I just clicked on one of them. I just clicked on circle one and
1: I looked at a close up and and I see dead bees and like I just very, I'm like, I don't really like bugs in general. So like there was a moment (laughs) where I'm just like, oh, I mean, it's very interesting, but that's, but I, I did not expect that.
0: <laughs> yeah, it is. If you don't want to see gross <laughs> bugs, um, do not click on the close ups of these pictures, absolutely, because when you get close up, you can see the bees, obviously, and it is not the greatest thing to see. But the reason that she made these is because she's actually a beekeeper herself. And when three of her hives died uh, because of exposure to pesticides, mm-hmm. um, she started using the dead bees that she had as art. And these patterns are all uh, very much inspired by different uh, monoculture crops and um, and specifically, like she calls out the Fibonacci, the Fibonacci spiral that you can find in the head of a sunflower, and all, all of they're all different patterns, but they're all very uh, detailed and almost some of them even almost create optical illusions um, because of the way that like they're very intense patterns um, and very clearly man-made patterns. Um in the statement about humans basically using and abusing and ultimately destroying uh, natural creatures in their quest to dominate over nature. Uh, And specifically, that what she is calling out here, like she has a very specific political aim with this is she is advocating for the banning of neonic pesticides, which are nicotine based, um, and they are ultimately fatal to bees, because they affect bees nervous system and mean that they can't, get home uh, to their hives which ultimately will kill the hives um and so they're, they're actually banned in the eu and she's advocating for them to be banned in north america as well um and when she started doing this work they she originally only had a couple and they were much smaller but when she started doing this work and getting attention for it beekeepers started sending her their dead bees wow and so she's now made these tons of these works uh I think there might be ten total, all in all, um of, of these different designs. And yeah, they're just made out of thousands of thousands of bees from different beekeepers.
1: Wow. Yeah, I I definitely remember like hearing in the news like in the last few years, and I think also this year, that like there have been a lot of bees just like dying en masse and like I'm obviously not an expert but like from what I've heard like it's not just the bees and the honey and like the products they make they also pollinate a lot of like other plants so there's like devastating impacts to not just bees but also like other crops and and just nature in general so this is this is definitely a really
0: important issue I have a similar reaction to you when I look closely at these where it's <laughs> deeply macabre to see all of these dead bees. And it's so sad because you're like, why why show us all of these horrifying bug carcasses? Um, but that's also, I think, kind of the point is to be confronted with it in a way that, like, you hear, like, the bees are dying. And you're like, wow, that's really sad, like that sucks. I don't support bees dying. But I think that creating the artwork in this way where then you can see the dead bees in front of you hits very differently than just hearing about it in the abstract.
1: Yeah, that's for sure. Well, and and I think the reason I kind of bring up like there's, there's these other um, it, or it seems like there's these other effects and impacts of bees is like, I feel like there's always a certain type of people who probably don't care that bees are dying or think oh well they're just bugs like you know okay like if they're dead like how does that affect us and and i guess it's it's pretty important for people to know that it does affect us but i guess also now that i think about it i mean it should also be uh important for us to just care about the well-being of bees cuz even though they're bugs they're still living creatures and they shouldn't just be poisoned to death <laughs>
0: Yeah, also, yeah, that, (laughs) yeah. Anyway, that is the work that she is most famous for. Um, But I also want to talk about a couple more that are less about uh, nature and the climate um, and more about a couple other things that she has worked on to get a different sense of some of these. And the next one I want to talk about is called Detachment, So there also will be a link to images of these as well. And I'm going to ask you again just to get your initial reactions to these before I explain the backstory of them.
1: Sure. Um, So this is a page um, called Detachment. and. Uh, so initially I see a bunch of pictures that are, they look like they're black backgrounds with dots on them and lines connecting the dots uh, with words on them. And since last time it was helpful for me to click on one of them, I'm going to. I guess it kind of looks like, it looks like constellations almost, um, like a constellation like of stars in the sky. But I do notice that the names of these artworks or images are um, like Eeps, Vimy, Passchendaele, and as far as I know, those were battle locations in World War One. And I don't know about like other countries and like what they uh, like how how World War One is taught, but I do know that as Canadians, like the, these battles and these and and sort of our involvement in World War One. As far as I know, a lot of, of people I know who were taught history in Canada, like it is kind of deeply entrenched in like teaching us about these, uh, you know, these these battles that happened.
0: You hit the nail so hard on the head. Oh, great. <laughs> so he- here's the backstory of this. These are constellations that represent the night sky the first night after the fighting Concluded in each of these battles, and these ones were chosen. These five battles because they were monumental for Canadian soldiers in World War One, um, and they were ones that Canadians fought in. And what they were actually made out of is brass fastener pins that held together the military service records of every single Canadian World War One veteran. Because when they started. When the National Canadian Archives started the digitization process, they had to remove 640,000 of these fastener pins from the records. And they and so they worked in collaboration with Sarah Hatton to turn these into an art piece. Every single one of those fasteners is actually stamped with a star, um, like was stamped with a star when they were used as fasteners. Um, and obviously like A gold star is a very common piece of military symbolism and is used in uh, several different ways in the military. So that's why she decided to do these representations of constellations and to turn these hundreds of thousands of brass pins into these actual recreations of those night skies. And she has then labeled every single constellation that these soldiers actually would have seen. I really recommend checking out both... The images of these art pieces and also the video where she talks about it. Uh, She describes it as the sky that no doubt the surviving soldiers would have been looking up at. And there is something about this that makes me really emotional. She talks about it as a tribute to remembrance and to peace. And something about just looking at these this representation of history by using a physical piece of that history and and deciding to turn that into something that says look up at the sky this is what we were seeing when the fighting was over yeah honestly that's really powerful because um i
1: i i think the fact that she used all these pins it like reminds you that you know of like the individual people and lives that were involved, even though obviously there was, but like we often talk about these like wars in like, you know, generic historic terms, and it's like the individual people are often not really addressed. Yeah. And then also just recreating that night sky, it almost like positions you and puts you, or not almost like it, it almost like it pretty much directly like puts you in their shoes and in their view of. Yeah, of what they would have seen. So it kind of like it humanizes that experience for me, I think, like not just of the individual like dots, but also um, like just recreating what it would have looked like for the soldiers.
0: I would really love to see this in person because even seeing just the the images online just makes me think like, oh my God, I think it would be so amazing to be able to be there right in front of this and to really soak in and be able to look close up at each one of these pins that represented a real person. And I don't tend to be like super interested in military history or stuff like that. It's not really my thing. But this level, this is what art is supposed to do. It brings it so close. And like you were saying, like it individualizes it in a way that makes me so much more interested in seeing this and experiencing this and being able to make a connection with this piece of history that if you ask me 20 minutes ago or whatever, I would say like I don't have a connection to really.
1: It's true because um, like I do kind of like as somebody who... I moved to Canada like myself, like, you know, halfway through my life, like, um, I am aware of the, definitely aware of these battles, but, um, unlike some of my friends who actually had grandparents, like who, who were involved or fought in the war and some died in the war, like I don't directly have that connection, but this, this makes me feel like I do. And, um, do you know where they're located? Like, (laughs) could I go see this somewhere? (laughs) I, here, I don't know. <laughs> I'm going to try to find out. And if it's close, maybe, I don't know, maybe I'll go see it.
0: <laughs> One other cool piece of this, which actually relates, uh, even though I said, oh, this isn't really about like her interest in nature or whatever, but it, it there is actually a theme in some of her other works that that runs through this as well, which is the reclamation of things that would otherwise go in the trash, most likely, where it's like, oh, all of these pins are, are now a piece of art like she's done other works of art where she turned like straws into a sculpture um, and there's there, there is this theme of of taking materials that might otherwise just be tossed away because they don't have a practical purpose anymore and turning them into a transformative piece of art well that's great and also
1: it, it like it speaks to one of the principles of sustainable use of materials which is to which is to re or find Ways to reuse existing materials instead of you know instead of having to mine and source new new ones.
0: Absolutely. Now the last piece that I want to talk about today is actually how I found this artist, and it's because she made a TikTok video about it that went that was fairly popular, and so I ended up coming across it. And I'm actually uh, just going to send you this video, and I just I just want us to watch this together. <laughs> um so click on that and then pause and then i'm gonna we're gonna do a one two three and then watch it together okay uh three two one play this is the fun part this is where i get to test the sculpture to see if it works
1: so i'm seeing a really black heart that's it it's just a heart um i'm gonna move in a little closer you'll stop me right Okay. Oh, my God. Uh, It's still just a heart. Oh, my God. I'm... Oh, this is freaky. I... Whoa! (laughs) Why? Oh, my God.
0: So that's the video. Okay, yeah. (laughs) So anyone who didn't get the chance to watch that themselves, what basically happens is uh, you just have a woman standing here and she's standing in front of a black wooden heart that's about the size of her head, I would say. And there are three large arrows that are going through the heart. So they are pointing at her. The camera turns the perspective and you see that what she can see is just the black heart she can't if you're looking at it straight on you can't see the arrows they're all just black and then she tests it by walking closer and closer to see if she can see them uh, and then the person who's filming has to warn her that she's about to walk into an arrow because she still can't see it right in front of her face but then the second you turn to the side the perspective changes and of course you can clearly see the arrows because they're against a white background. Look at this I'm like I'm just like oh my god like I mean in my head I'm like
1: okay I'm pretty sure she didn't hurt herself or at least i hope not but i was like i was like on the edge of my seat
0: i'm like why are you doing this (laughs) it doesn't because if you were just watching her walk towards the arrows from the side perspective you'd be like why is that woman walking towards an arrowhead like she's clearly gonna hurt herself but then when you see it from her perspective that she can't she just can't see it so cool this piece is called love is blind And it's very simple, but so clever. And I think that it has different interpretations, which is cool. The one that she presents as the primary interpretation is it is a representation of love bombing, uh, which is just used by tons of different people including in cults uh, as well as just sort of -of run-of-the-mill toxic relationships where when you enter a relationship with someone be it romantic or platonic you just get a ton of love and emotion and like really really strong closeness in a way that is completely overwhelming Um, and then that disarms you and you can sometimes like not see red flags or not see these major red flags as they develop even if but if you were a person on the outside of that relationship you could clearly look at it and be like oh there's a really dangerous thing happening there but when you're inside it looking straight on you can't see it
1: yeah when i saw the title and thought about it i was thinking like is this like a metaphor for how like love can like you know break your heart or like just totally kind of i guess be like an arrow flying at your face, <laughs> like and which I'm sure for some people that is literally the experience, or not literally, figuratively, whatever. <laughs> so, <laughs> hopefully not literally. Yeah. Please, if you entered a relationship into someone they shot a literal arrow at your head or are about to, please leave.
0: <laughs> and I feel like that can be true that they can also be just like it doesn't have to be coming from a a toxic manipulative person sometimes it's just a average relationship that has the same kind of problems where you're not picking up on red flags because you've got those you know the rose-colored glasses on Mm. and i saw someone else uh, interpreted this as almost the reverse where uh, outside of the relationship you're just seeing the heart that they're presenting straight on to the world where everything looks good And great but inside the relationship things are very toxic um, and one and or both partners is hiding that from other people
1: oh that's really interesting
0: yeah I just think it's such it's one of the coolest pieces of art that I've seen come out in the last couple years honestly because I do think that it has so many different potential meanings it can mean different things to different people
1: Yeah, and it's so simple, but I do notice now after seeing three pieces of her work, like all of them are kind of, I guess, indirectly about killing. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, well, because um, I I did notice in in the bee one, there is a, um, like not only is it dead bees, but there is a, a circular arrangement she made on a blue background called Kill Chain, which looks like the... Target that you would see if you're looking, if you had like, if you were holding, I guess like a rifle or a gun that's aiming at something. That's the circle you would see. Um, and the only reason I know this is because of playing video games. I've never actually shot a rifle, <laughs> um, and uh, so that you know that's literally a kill like reference. And then the the war one is you know about soldiers being killed. And then this one, she seemed like she almost got killed by
0: an arrow. Yeah, there is definitely a lot of work that deals with mortality uh both for humans and for animals yeah well but uh, like
1: i do think that's compelling like it is it is something that does um you know that is obviously um has a big impact to us our mortality if not probably some of the biggest impacts um so i think i think it it's probably one of the reasons why like these works are so
0: so intriguing I mean, human, what are humans obsessed with if not for love and death? It's true. Money sometimes, but that's just because we had to make something else up that wasn't love <laughs> or death to be obsessed with. Right. And, you know, and sometimes money is used to get more love and maybe
1: prevent death.
0: <laughs> so. Yeah, exactly. Hey, we've cracked it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I do want to end this by just talking a little bit about how she actually made this. Uh. Which is pretty cool because, you know, how is it possible that she actually can't see the arrows? You would think, like, you've got to have something special going on there. And she does. Everything is painted in black 3.0 paint, which is the blackest black that exists. I have um, heard it, about this. Yeah. Yes. It absorbs 99% of visible light and as a little fun story 3.0 exists because uh if an artist grudge <laughs> So there's a contemporary artist uh, named Anish Kapoor. Um, He is very, very successful. And he actually obtained a little while back the exclusive rights to use a paint called Vanta Black or use a color called Vanta Black, uh, which at the time was the blackest black that existed. And this made a lot of people very mad (laughs) Including an artist named Stuart Semple, who was so mad that he worked with scientists to create an even blacker black. <laughs> oh wow. And he, he called this black 2.0, and it, he said when he when he created it and patented it, I guess, uh, he said that anyone can use it except for uh, Anish Kapoor and anyone who works with him. <laughs> Um, And then Black 3.0 is kind of the newest iteration of that, so created by Stuart Semple. Um, And so uh, she, in the the behind-the-scenes video where she's talking about both her work and the paint that she made it with, that allowed this work to exist. uh, In parts of it, she's wearing a T-shirt that says, "I I swear I'm not Anish Kapoor." (laughs) That's great. (laughs) Which is just such a delightful little detail. But that's why uh, this work could exist because it is literally the, the paint is so dark that it is absorbing so much visible light that it, it blocks when you're looking straight on and you don't have a different color to contrast it with. It's just the black 3.0 on black 3.0 and you can't even tell how far away something is from your face because it all just looks like black to you.
1: Yeah, that's that's really interesting. this this also reminds me again of our um of our International Climb Blue podcast where where that was like a patented exclusive color. It seems like this is a thing that artists like to do is be like, Ooh, I just wanna own a color. <laughs> like and nobody else can use it.
0: There's so many <laughs> color beefs out there. Yeah,
1: for sure. Um I mean, I actually do have a YouTube video where I talk about color contrast, but more so in the context of interior design and why it's important to have contrast. Because, like, especially when it comes to, like, you know, steps and things that can you can trip over um, and that there's actually formulas in the industry that people use um, to pick materials on different surfaces so that um, you can make sure you pick one, like, you know, on a contrasting surface that, that people can't detect, which, and this helps, like, people with low vision and just people in general. <laughs> um And yeah, like, and actually, um this is interesting, because in a way, this black being, like, really, really black is probably it probably could work with a lot of other colors to be like an actual good contrasting material or color to be used for these like instances so you know it should be accessible for everyone to use
0: (laughs) that's really cool and that's a good point that like it potentially has a lot of uses unfortunately as you might imagine at this moment it is quite expensive (laughs) true so unfortunately it's probably not going to be able to used in more interior design elements at the moment but i could definitely see a future where it's part of that um and that that opens up a lot of possibilities yeah well that's
1: yeah that's so interesting well thanks for introducing me to very interesting artist.
0: Absolutely. And thanks everybody out there for listening to us today. If you want to find all of the show notes of everything we talked about, you can find those at relay.fm slash pictorial. You can also find us on Twitter or Instagram at pictorialpod. And if you want, you can also find me on Instagram at aspiringrobotfm.
1: And you can find me on Twitter or Instagram at articulationsv. And I'm also on YouTube as articulations. And speaking of YouTube, we also have a YouTube channel channel pictorial podcast where we usually upload a video version of the audio podcast a few weeks after it's been released so you can take a look at all the dead bees and constellations and everything else
0: for this episode in a few weeks thanks for listening art enthusiasts